0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. In Philippians 4 4, Paul makes the audacious statement, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then, in case we missed it, he repeats and says, And again, I say, rejoice. Well, haven't you ever wondered what that actually means? And is that even possible, especially in light of the culture of today? Well, before we get into today's Daily Thunder, I wanted to remind you that we're just a couple of weeks out from Ellerslie's fall five-week classic discipleship training program. If you ever wanted to take your faith deeper or learn how to properly live out the Christian life or if you want to learn how to live victorious or study the Bible or have an effectual prayer life, those are all things that we cover in our five-week discipleship program. It starts September 5th, and we love to have you join us. Again, it starts in just a couple of weeks. And if you'd like more information, please visit Ellersley.com forward slash daily. Now again, in today's episode, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter four, verse four, as we talk about Paul's command to rejoice. Always. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, Philippians chapter four. Uh, but we've been walking through Philippians chapter four, and I'm looking specifically at the Christian mindset, and uh, the the main focus is verses uh, Philippians chapter four, verse four through nine. And again, it goes to this whole idea of okay, how is a Christian supposed to think? And uh, this is kind of stirring out of my own heart in the and just the idea of as I'm looking at culture, as I'm looking at the Christian state of things right now, just as things are getting darker and and just more depressing in a lot of ways, uh, how is a Christian supposed to think? Uh, How is a Christian supposed to function? How is a Christian, what is the mindset of a Christian? And so just kind of thinking and praying about that whole idea, just realizing that what Paul says in Philippians chapter four is really critical in terms of just the mindset of a Christian. So what I just want to do is just want to read, uh, read this passage with you. And then I want to look at uh, the first part of it. So Philippians chapter four, uh, starting with verse four, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let everyone come to know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with gratitude Make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport. If there is any virtue and if there's any praise, think on these things Do those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, I just think it's a phenomenal declaration of where we are to keep our focus uh, in this day and age. Uh, I want to look specifically this morning with you at verse 4. Again, the last couple of episodes or last couple of sessions, we've been walking through just kind of an overview of kind of getting us to this passage But if you look at verse four, verse four is intriguing. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Uh, That word rejoice or the idea of joy uh, is, is, is replete throughout the book of Philippians. And in fact, that word for rejoice or joy shows up 16 times in our book. In other words, granted, he uses it in a variety of ways. But Paul is consistently saying, joy, hey, hey, I'm, I'm so joy-filled. Hey, have the, have the same mind and be filled with joy. Hey, rejoice, rejoice. I mean, he just is constantly hitting that theme of joy and rejoice. 16 times, again, in the book of Philippians. Now, the way he uses it here in verse 4, this word rejoice, again, I say rejoice. Now, please, please contain yourself. It is a present active imperative. ho, ho, ho. All right. No one else is excited, but it's a present active imperative. Now, if, if you don't, if that does make any sense to you, let me explain it. Uh, it is an imperative, which means this is a command. So Paul is not making a suggestion. He's not saying, well, when it's easy, he's not saying, Hey, I recommend, Hey, rejoice. This is a command. Paul is telling you, Hey, you are commanded rejoice. Oh, when I, when am I commanded to rejoice? Well, that's, Oh, that's easy. It's always. And you guys know this. You know what the word always in Greek means? Always. See, you guys got one of those. So, hey, I am commanded to rejoice always. And in case we missed it, Paul repeats the thing. Again, I say rejoice. And you know in scripture, anytime you you see repetition, it's there for emphasis. It's there to say, hey, don't miss this. So it's like Paul is like putting this huge highlighter pin. And he's saying, hey, I am commanding you. Rejoice. 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 Well, how often? Forever, always, all the time, continually. Well, what about my circumstance? Don't worry about those. Rejoice. Well, what about the situation? Doesn't matter. Rejoice. So you are commanded. So it's a command. It's an imperative. Now it's inactive. It's in, it's in the active, which means you are responsible for this. So you get to choose whether or not you're going to obey that command. It, it's you are going to decide whether or not you are going to rejoice. And it's interesting. It's in the present And again, we've walked through this, but in, in the Greek, the present just doesn't mean the present. The idea in the Greek is like, it's the ever present, meaning whenever it is present, this should be taking place in your life. So should this be happening right now? Yep. What about right now? Yep. What about right now? Yep. So the idea in the Greek is that whenever you are in the present, which by the way, you always are in the present, (laughs) You're supposed to be in the present. So you live in the future and the past, but you're, Hey, you're in the present. So whenever you're in the present, Paul says, I command you rejoice always and forever rejoice. It's interesting when Paul uses that idea of rejoice always that, that, that kind of that phrase, it's always in the present active imperative. Uh, for example, a few pages uh, or a chapter earlier in Philippians three, one Paul says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. It's a present active imperative. He's commanding you, hey! Whenever it's the present, how do you? Re- how, what are you supposed to do? You are to rejoice in the Lord. In First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen, uh, which some people have called the official like standing orders of the gospel. In other words, you know how do you live out the gospel? Paul says in First First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you know what the will of God in Christ is for you? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. And again, it's all in the present active imperative. So you've got you to hear the emphasis of this thing. Paul's not making a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, I highly recommend that, you know, when you're facing trials of many kinds, rejoice. Uh, yeah, just choose rejoicing. He's saying, no, you have got to determine in your soul. That at every moment of every single day, regardless of what is going on, whenever you're living in the present, I am going to choose to rejoice. Now, that is a whole lot easier said than done. But that's, hey, that's the command. Now, you realize Paul says this stuff all over the place. And again, I just, I just find it full, so fascinating that, that there's this repetition all throughout Scripture. So let me just give you a few of these for kicks and giggles. First uh, Thessalonians 1.6. You can just listen to all this. Paul is consistently talking about joy in the middle of suffering. Listen, first Thessalonians one six. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. What on earth? Paul says, Hey, you received the word of God with much suffering, with much persecution and trials and hardships, with, Paul says, the joy of the Holy Spirit. So how did the Thessalonians receive the Word of God? Yes in suffering, yes in hardship, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses one and two. Uh, Paul Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul says, here's these, here are these churches in Macedonia, and man, they have been receiving such persecution and difficulty and trial and hardship, and yet, and yet they have extreme poverty, and yet what are they doing? Out of the joy, out of the abundance of their joy, they're giving. Colossians one twenty four, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul says, man, I am just celebrating the fact that I'm suffering. Who is this? This is crazy. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So there seems like there's this undercurrent of all that Paul is saying, where he's saying, hey, it doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the circumstance. And if you, if you put your mind in the, in the culture of what Paul is writing or where Paul is writing, right, it, it's governed by Rome. Christians are being persecuted. Hey, there are lots of trials and hardships and difficulties and pressures. And, and Paul's not just saying, hey, when you have freedom and things are going well and you win the lottery, woo, rejoice. He's saying, look, I know things are hard and I know there's persecution and I know there's difficulty and I I know there's hardship and I know there's pressure and I know I I get all that. So will you choose to rejoice? Now with that, as the, as the mindset, uh, let me give you 12 reflections on rejoicing. Now I know (laughs) I already criticized myself this morning. You know, as, as a communicator, you're only supposed to like maybe have three points, maybe four at the most. So you could say I've got four groups of three, I guess. I I don't know how you want to deal with it. Uh, But just looking at this idea of rejoicing and joy, I was just starting to make a list of what does Scripture say and what are some of the realities of joy for the the believer. And so I, I had a list of 12, and I didn't know how to shorten it, so we'll just have 12. But just ponder these in light of this idea that we are called to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So if that is going to take place in our life, Uh, Here are 12 ideas or 12 reflections. Number one, you are going to have to know the source of the joy. Joy is not some random thing out there that we're hoping to obtain. The world has that mindset and yet the world will never fully be able to embrace joy. Why? Because they don't even know the source of joy. What is the source of joy? You'll never guess. No one's even going to try. Okay. I'll just tell you. The source of joy is Jesus himself. I love Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. Get this in your presence. O God is the fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, Hey, if you need joy, if you are looking for joy, Hey, if you need to rejoice, where, where where's the one place you're going to find that? God. Because it is in his presence that there is fullness of joy. So why would you look anywhere else? I love what Leonard Ravenhill once he says that entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. And if you look at culture today, we, we are trying to satisfy something. We're looking for something. We're looking for peace and rest and happiness and all this kind of stuff. And so we're going out and looking at sports and sexuality and you know drugs and I mean you just start looking at what the culture is going to. What, it is a seeking after joy. And yet the source of joy, according to scripture, is in God himself. And if you get wrapped up in him, you find joy, not because he gives you joy, but because he is joy itself. In fact, you even see that in our passage, rejoice in the Lord. So where am I supposed to put my rejoicing? Where is my rejoice focused in the Lord? So, hey, if I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always, I've got to recognize that the source of the joy itself is in Jesus. I I like what William Barclay said. He's He's a scholar, commentator guy. He says, Christian joy is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Christ. I like that. That was good. You've got to get a hold of this idea that Jesus doesn't just have joy. Jesus doesn't just give you joy. Jesus is the fullness of joy itself. That it is in the presence of God that you find the fullness of joy. And I I love what Hebrews uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if the fullness of joy was found in God yesterday, where is the fullness of joy going to be found today? In him. Where's it going to be found tomorrow? In him. So when we get to heaven, heaven is going to be our replacement and heaven itself will be our joy. (laughs) No, what are you talking about? No, the reason heaven is joy filled is because it has the fullness of the presence of God himself. So where is the source of our joy? It's in the Lord. So the only option I have then to rejoice in the Lord always is to find my joy in the Lord. That is so foundational in the passage. Uh, Number two is the idea that joy is a fruit. Uh, Obviously, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, uh, Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Meaning what? We keep going back to this idea. But it's not that All right, I I need the fruits of the spirit. So I'm going to, I'm going to grip my teeth and try to pull off the fruits of the spirit. That's, that's not how they work. The only way you're going to have fruit of the spirit is when you're in the spirit. And when the spirit of God lives inside of you, we call him the Holy spirit. When the spirit lives inside of you. So I'm in Jesus. Jesus is in me through his spirit. What begins to bubble forth out of my life? The fruit. So it's not that I go after the fruit. I go after the source, right? It's that uh, vine and branch thing from John chapter 15. That as long as the branch is remaining, holding tight to, clinging to the vine, the life sap of the vine flows out into the branches and produces fruit. So what is the job description of the branch? Not producing fruit. The job description of the branch is staying tight to the vine. And as long as the branch is holding to the vine, as long as the branch is abiding on that vine, the life of the vine flows into the branch and it will produce fruit. So the fruit then is the natural outflow of the life. So, Hey, if you want to produce joy at all times, says Paul, then you've got to recognize that this is not you gritting and determining and gritting your teeth and just trying to pull off joy. This is allowing the spirit of God to bring this thing out of you. Now, again, in our passage, this thing is active, which means, Hey, you, Hey, you're going to have to pull this off. Hey, you're going to have to decide on this thing but while you are pulling it off and you're deciding to do it, it's really not you. Why? Because your, your joy is in the Lord. So he is the source of it, but he's like, he's the one who's going to be bringing this out within us. Does That make any sense? So the only hope I have then to rejoice in the Lord always is to realize that yes, it is a decision in my life that I'm going to, in this moment rejoice. And yet how am I going to produce that? God, you're going to have to do it in me because you are the fullness of joy So God, would you somehow bubble forth your joy out of my life in this moment? So not only is he the source of this whole thing, uh, that he's the one who's going to be producing this fruit in you. But it's interesting that joy is a fruit. This rejoicing thing is a fruit. Uh, Number three, just another reflection on this whole thing is that joy is not about circumstances. Rather, it is a purposeful response amidst the circumstances. In other words, it doesn't seem like what Paul's saying is, you know what? Ignore your situation, ignore your circumstance, and just put on a smile. That there, there's nothing. That's not in the passage. Uh, this is not well. Just be ignorant and just ignore and, and hope and hope it'll go away. That that's not in the passage. You're still going to have to deal with the circumstances. Hey, you're still going to have to deal with the jail cells. You're still got, you're still going to have to deal with the bleeding back. You're, you're still going to have to deal with the situation you're in. But what Paul is calling you to is a change of perspective. Uh, the, the phrase I was thinking about yesterday as I was pondering through this again was that joy is the set of the sail amidst the wind of circumstance. That, 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 that the winds of circumstance are going to be blowing. The, the winds are going to be, hey, they're, they're coming at you. You don't get a choice in that. But you do get a choice of whether or not you set, you know, you, you pull up the sail and you let the circumstances bring you somewhere. That you begin to recognize that, okay, I need a brand new perspective in the middle of this. So God, I'm going to trust you in this. And so I'm determining that I'm going to have joy in the middle of my circumstance and that you're going to use the circumstance in my life to bring about something good. But again, you're not ignorant of the circumstances. Does that make any sense? So so this is not a, well, I'm really excited. uh, Or how should I say this? It's not ignoring the thing around you. It's Deciding to rejoice in the midst of what's going on around you. Uh, we have to remember that when Paul wrote verse 4 here, that he's not writing some cute refrigerator statement. Right? And he's not writing a little thing that you know, he, you know you can put on doilies and pillowcases or whatever, right? Oh, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Right? This is not a refrigerator statement. Paul is writing this statement from a prison cell. Hey, his back has been bleeding. He's, Hey, he's been torn up. He's in the middle of a jail cell and in the middle of that circumstance, which by the way, is probably a lot worse than what we're going through. Paul says, Hey, can I remind you rejoice? In fact, if you need a reminder, just, just listen to what Paul says about his life. Second Corinthians 11 verses 24 through 28. Just, just ponder this five times. I received at the hand of the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. So you ever saw Passion of the Christ, you know, they, you know, they tie the person up to the, the post, strip the back, and they have this cat of nine tails. So it's this, it's this cord, it's like this leather thing, and on the end it has rocks and glass and bone and just anything that will shred someone's flesh. And of course, they, they hit the person's back 39 times because in the Roman thought is if you hit them 40 times, they'd die. So let's bring them all the way up to the very cl- the closest point of death and then stop. Paul went through that five times. I mean, the likelihood is he had no back because what little flesh he had after the first one was torn out of the second one. And by the time you get done with the second one, you, you, there's no more flesh to be pulled out. It's just scars. So if you imagine this, five times where the scars are being reopened and just his back would have looked like a mess. Now, that alone would have been horrible. But he says, hey, but three times I was beaten with a rod. Which is not like, you know, you, you take a little stick and what Right, This is like a stick, and it's whack, whack, whack kind of stuff. Three times. Once I was stoned, where you take big rocks and throw it at somebody's head, hoping to kill them. Right, The, whole, the intent is to crush their skull. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I was on journeys frequent, in dangers of rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers of my own people, dangers of Gentiles, dangers of the city, dangers in the wilderness. There's lots of dangers. <laughs> Uh, dangers at sea dangers of false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure. And if that wasn't enough says Paul, the daily pressure and the stress, the anxiety of all the churches wait upon me. And it's in the middle of that mindset. Paul says, Hey, can I tell you rejoice when always? So Paul, you're telling me that when your back is being beaten, by a cat of nine tails, you're telling me you're supposed to rejoice in that? Paul says, yeah. Aren't you screaming with pain? He says, yes. Okay. <laughs> that's the only, that's the only response you, you, you can have at that moment. Like, hey, This thing's painful, but in the middle of the pain, rejoice. So every scream is a, woo, Jesus, kind of a scream. Now that seems insane to me, but Paul says, Hey, that's how, that's what's supposed to happen. So again, it's not an ignorance of the situation. It's not like Paul's tied up to the post and he's just like, oh, I love the fact that I'm, a beat. I'm on a beach with a glass of lemonade. And it's, he's, not, he's not ignorant of the fact that he's being beaten. It's just that he's choosing a position of rejoicing in the midst of the beating. And the same thing's true about our life, that, hey, we are called to rejoice in the Lord always, which is not an ignorance of what's going on around us. It's a decision in the midst of what's going on around us. I am choosing to rejoice in this situation. And by the way, the, the, there's some scholars who point out the fact that there's an undercurrent of this idea of rejoice, which is this idea of praise. That, hey, if I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, what is that? It is a setting your gaze. It's, it's that set of the cell idea. And I'm going to praise him in the midst of this. That's hard to do, which is why it needs to be a fruit, which is why you need to know the source of this thing. Because again, this is not based on circumstance. This is not an emotion. Uh, That word rejoice. It's interesting when you, when you get into the word, it has this idea of leaping, which we've talked about around here all the time, but, but that word rejoice has this idea of it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a leap of the soul. Uh, Sometimes even a physical leap, but it it is a leap of the soul that when all the pressures are pushing down upon you, you are leaping on the inside. I love what Luke six verse 22 through 23 says, Uh, Jesus says in Luke six, blessed are you when people hate you and then exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So Jesus says, hey, when things are just looking horrible, you're being persecuted. Everyone hates you. Hey, they're spurning your name. They're reviling. Woo! Do you know what you get to do? You get to rejoice and leap. And there is a determination within your soul that, again, it's not the circumstance. You're not ignorant. But it's not the circumstances that it's causing the leaping. If anything, they put the pressure. But it's the pressure that causes you to leap. Which... Takes us to number four, which is this idea of rejoicing doesn't have to make sense. That actually helped me yesterday as I was pondering this again, because I began to recognize that there are times in our lives when the rejoicing will make no sense at all. So rejoicing can happen even if there's tears in your eyes and sorrow in your soul. Because again, joy is not an emotion like happiness. So whether you're happy or whether you're sad, you are called to rejoice. So rejoicing then is not a, is not an emotional thing. It's a decision. It's a set of the, it is a set of the gaze kind of thing. So even if rejoicing makes no sense at all in your circumstance, even if, it, even if there's no comprehension, you are still commanded to rejoice. And there are times in our lives when we have to command ourselves to do something scripture says, uh, I've been fascinated with the Psalms that several times in the Psalms, the Psalmist commands their soul to do an activity. Isn't that interesting? It's like the soul, which is, which is the, 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 heart of who we are as people. You know, we don't have souls. We are souls, right? Our souls have bodies, right? You're not a body. You're a soul technically, but they're so intertwined. You can't separate them, right? Until until death do us part. (laughs) But, But here's my soul. And there's times when I have to look at my soul and I have to command my soul. Soul, you better do this. Because this is what I know is true. So though you may feel the anxiety going this way. And though you may feel the fear going this way. And though you may feel the worry going this way. Soul, keep your focus. For example, Psalm 42 verse 11. The psalmist asks, why are you cast down O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Can't you just, can't you just feel that? It's like soul. What is going on? Oh, dear soul. it's funny that he's been having a conversation with himself, but soul. Why are you, why is there anxiety? Why is this pressure going on inside of you? And listen to what the psalmist says, uh, in verse 11, he's at the end of this. Why are you cast down O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again, praise him my salvation and my God. So here's a psalmist saying, Soul, why are you downcast? You are going to hope in God. And he's commanding his soul to set, to turn his gaze and to set it properly. So you recognize when it comes to this idea of rejoicing, there is going to be times in our life when the rejoicing makes no sense. Hey, when you're tied to a post and you're, you have a bleeding back and you're in a, and you're in the middle of a jail cell and, and you're all, all this persecution and pressure. You may not feel like rejoicing. Hey, Hey, there's all this sorrow. There's all this pressure, but it is a declaration of, even if it doesn't make sense, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I am choosing in this moment to praise you. And I am choosing to rejoice and find my joy in you in the midst of my circumstance. That is huge to me. So rejoicing doesn't have to even make sense to you, but we're still called to do it. Uh, number five, <clears throat> joy increases with greater pressure. In other words, the more pressure, the more hardship, the more trial, the more persecution, the greater the circumstance. Woo, joy should get bigger. I love Eric's illustration of the cheerio and milk, right? That a cheerio and milk is unsinkable. So you push the Cheerio milk, or you put you push the Cheerio and milk down. Boop! Just pops it to the top. That is the life of a Christian. That we are unsinkable. In fact, it's that idea of the trampoline. Right? The more the more pressure you put down on the trampoline, the higher you jump. Wouldn't it be neat in the Christian life that the more pressure, the more trial, the more circumstance, the harder things get, it only presses us further in the trampoline, which causes our leap for joy, our rejoicing, to be that much greater. Which means. The worse things get in your life, the more joy should be coming out of your life. Wouldn't that be a crazy thought? That we look at you and all the circumstances that you're going through and your health and your finances and your situations and your relationships and your whatever, and we're like, what on earth is going on in your life? Joy. That, that hey, I'm I'm suffering great joy. Woo! I mean, or sorry, I'm not suffering great joy. I'm suffering greatly. So woo! look at my joy kind of thing. Uh, there's a scholar. I, I liked what he said here. He said that Paul doubles the command. So again, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Then he repeats this again. I say rejoice. So Paul doubles the command in case there are those who object in rejoicing in the time of suffering or saying that is, it is inappropriate. A time of suffering is a time when rejoicing in the Lord is the only way to survive. In no way is Paul simply advocating a positive mental attitude or urging his readers to cheer up and have a nice day. His double emphasis on joy comes from his own experience of knowing the resurrection power of Christ and participating in his sufferings in his Roman prison. In other words, you realize that sometimes, hey, the pressure that's coming upon you is the only way you're gonna you're gonna make it through that thing? And again, wouldn't it be fascinating if the greater the circumstance, the greater the pressure, only increased the amount of joy in our life? In fact, that's the whole tenor of scripture: is that the more pressure you're in, more pressure you're in, the more grace you receive, which means the more hope you can have, which means your joy better be exuberant. That's convicting. <laughs> and all you have to do is look at our responses during COVID. COVID happens. Oh no. Wouldn't have been interesting if COVID happens. We're like, Whoa! okay, let's get off that one. All right. Uh, number six. <laughs> Joy is a present declaration of our future hope. Joy is a present declaration in our future hope. In other words, we rejoice now because we know the future. That we have confidence now, no matter the circumstance, because we know where this is all heading. Uh, Luke 10, verse 20. uh, Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. He's talking about the circumstance stuff. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus, you know why you should be rejoicing? Because there is a surety. There is this eternal salvation that you get to have. There's this eternal bliss in the reality of of being in the very presence of God. So yeah, things may be hard now, but woo! hey, your name is written in the the book of life. So I can rejoice now in any circumstance. Why? Because I know where I'm heading. Well, you're about to die. Woo! Praise the Lord. Finally. Right? I mean, there's, there's there's a whole different disposition. So joy... Right now is my present declaration. When I live with joy now, it is my current declaration that I have a greater hope for the future. See, if all I had was hope now, if all my hope was in, my, in, was in the moment, then you better be sorrowful. You better be full of worry and anxiety. You better be stressed out. <laughs> you know? Why? Because if this is the best I've got coming in front of me, well, then the circumstances are going to determine everything in my life. But if I have a future hope, then circumstances, eh, whatever, because I, I know where things are heading. Let me just give you a few verses about this idea of what, what would happen if we lived with eternity on our mind? Like, what if we really had an eternal perspective? Because <clears throat> I'm convinced if we had an eternal perspective, it would change how we see the present circumstances, which means we can always rejoice. So first Peter four 13 Peter says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He says, do you recognize that you can rejoice in sharing Christ's sufferings? Why? Because we're rejoicing in what is to come. Uh, his glory being revealed. First Peter five verse 10. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So yes, yeah, suffering might be here for a little while, but wow, do you recognize that he has taken us into this eternal glory in Christ where you will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. That's phenomenal. Romans eight eighteen. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, wow, the sufferings in the present age is just winking dink compared to the realities in the eterni- in, 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 into the eternities. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Paul says, for this light, momentary affliction. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> you're being beaten, you're scourged, you're being put in prison. And Paul calls it a light, momentary affliction. But he says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That that what the suffering's doing is preparing us for the future. Hebrews twelve verse eleven. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Do you not realize that? Yeah. Difficulty and hardship now is, is, yeah, it's hard, but Hey, it is training you up and it's producing something in your life that yes, I can rejoice in the present. Why? Cause there's a future hope. I love what Hebrews 11, 13, uh, verse five and six says, God himself has told us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? So how is it that we can say, what can man do to me? Hey, I don't have to fear because we know that he's with us. See, wouldn't it be amazing that this idea that joy in this present moment is our declaration of a future hope. It's a future trust. Uh, Number seven, joy exposes and declares our focus and trust in God. And it kind of ties back into this previous one. But what you begin to recognize is that when we live in joy, despite the circumstance, it is declaring our our focus and it's declaring our trust in God's provision and his timing. So even if I don't see the results, even if I don't see the fulfillment, even if I don't see the outcome, when I rejoice in the moment, I'm declaring that my focus is upon God and that I trust him, that I trust his provision. I trust his timing. Hey, if I live in worry and concern and anxiety, what is that declaring? It's declaring that my focus is on my current circumstance. It's actually declaring that I don't trust God. Cause Hey, if I truly trusted God, would I just relax? Which is why Jesus says, Hey, don't worry. Hey, have no fear. And we're like, that's insane. And Jesus would say, well, not if you know where your focus is at. If you actually understood who your God is, you could actually rest in that reality. So joy, then, is a declaration of my focus and my trust in God. And there's several examples throughout Scripture, but we don't, we don't have time to get into all those. But, but you start looking at, like, Abraham. and Here's Abraham. He never saw the fulfillment of the promise. And yet he rejoiced he trusted in his God. He had his gaze set. Uh, Hebrews 11.13 says that they died in faith, not having received the things promised, But having seen them and greeted them from afar, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And if you follow the passage in Hebrews 11, the idea is that here they were. They never received the promise that God gave. And yet they had one focus and one trust. It's in their God. See, joy declares that in our life. Uh, Number eight. We rejoice because we know that trials and difficulties lead to maturity. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? You're telling me that when I face a whole bunch of different kinds of trials, I am to count it joy? All joy? James says, ah, oh, yes. Why? Paul, uh, sir, Paul. James says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness having its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. I read it a little earlier, but the Romans five, three through four, Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character and character produces hope. So you realize that we can rejoice now. Why? Because we know that the trials and the difficulties and the pressures we're facing now is only causing maturity and development and character and endurance and hope in our life. So when trials come, when suffering arrives, arrives, we can say, "Woo! this is a good thing for me. I mean, I know this is hard. I know there's a lot of pressure. I know this is crazy and I, I can't be ignorant of it. I'm going to have to deal with it. I get all that. We ha- well, we're going to have to deal with the flat tire. I understand that, but the flat tire, woo! this is, this is going to work good in my life. Hey, you look at the whole COVID thing and, and all, and all the stuff that's been going on. You realize as Christians, we should be rejoicing. Why? Because the pressure of COVID and, and, and whether you want to consider it a political thing or not at this point, but Hey, all that pressure and all that stuff that's going on, you realize that whether or not it's real or fake or whatever, however you want to see it doesn't actually matter. The fact that it's even there and putting pressure, we should be rejoicing. Why? Because it's doing something in us to shape us more and more like Jesus that is producing hope and character and endurance and maturity in the Christian life. So, hey, I could look at any circumstance and rejoice in it. Why? Because I realize that God is going to leverage and use that for my good. Romans 8, 28. So why not just rejoice in it? Why not thank God for it? It's not that he's causing it. We understand that. God doesn't cause sin. Hey, I understand that. So when I'm facing difficulty and hardship because someone else sinned and I'm, and I'm facing the consequences of their sin, I can still rejoice. Not because God caused it, because he's going to use that in my life. Uh, Number nine, joy is most evident or most clearly seen in our trials, sufferings, hardships, difficulties, and weaknesses. It's not just that we know that the, the sufferings and the difficulties are producing something within us. We should be able to rejoice because we know that that is when our joy is most evident. When should people know that we are Christians the most? When we're facing hardship and trials and sufferings and persecution, which is why in the ancient days, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. That when the onlooking world was watching how Christians were behaving in the arenas, being eaten by wild beasts and here they are, they're down on their knees and they're worshiping and praising God singing instead of running around screaming the world goes, what is that? Cause that's not normal. Hey, when you're being led off to your crucifixion and you are rejoicing and you have a smile on your face and you're like, "Woo, today's the day. You know, let's, hey, let's pull out the party hats and the diet seven up and let's go. Hey, when you are rejoicing in that circumstance, the world does not know what to do with that. And that picture of joy in the middle of the hardship was one of the greatest declarations of the gospel. And he goes back to that idea of the uh, toothpaste tube. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? Toothpaste. Why? Because toothpaste was in the tube. The reason toothpaste comes out is not because of the squeezing. It's always being squeezed. The question is, when it's being squeezed, what comes out of it? So in our lives, you will be squeezed. Guaranteed, it is promised in Scripture. So when you are being squeezed, what comes out of you? The question is not, am I going to be squeezed? The question is, when I'm squeezed, what comes out? Wouldn't it be amazing if when life squeezes you, whoop, joy comes out? Do you know what that is? That is a picture of the life of Christ within you. Because the source of all joy is Jesus. Because he's the fullness of joy. So when, you, when life is squeezing you and joy comes out of you, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ. So joy then is most evident or seen when we're facing trials and hardships. And again, the more the pressure, the harder the circumstance, the more joy should be seen. I mean, the harder you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, more toothpaste should come out. So, hey, if you're being squeezed, you should be going, "Ooh, squeeze me harder, squeeze me harder. Maybe not. But, hey, that's a thought. Uh, Listen to what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul says, uh, he said to me, so the Lord said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you know what I'm going to do, says Paul? I'm going to rejoice in my hardships. I'm going to rejoice in my weaknesses. I'm going to rejoice when things are difficult. Why? Because, woo, in my weakness, the power of God is being demonstrated. In my hardship, joy is being evidenced. Uh, Number 10, we can rejoice because we know that God is king. I know that sounds simple, but one of the reasons we can rejoice always is because we know who is the king of the universe. Psalm 97 verse one, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Do you recognize that the Lord reigns? He is king of all kings. Therefore, what are we called to do rejoice? And not only is he king, but he has overcome the world. John 16, 33. Uh, Jesus is looking at his disciples. He says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The whole idea of take heart. Hey, rejoice. Why? Not in the tribulation. Rejoice because I've overcome the world. Don't you know who I am? So in any tribulation, any, any circumstance, do you realize that God is the king of all kings and he has overcome the world? So I could rejoice in that. Uh, Number 11, we rejoice because God is a God of joy. In other words, he's just building us. He's, he's shaping us to reflect his own character. He is a God of joy. And so we can rejoice always. Why? Because he rejoices always. Uh, Zephaniah 317. <clears throat> Zephaniah records, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Get this. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Nehemiah 810. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you know what our strength is as believers, his joy, his joy is our strength. So if I'm, if I'm facing difficulty and I need his strength in this moment, guess how I'm going to experience his strength. Yes. His provision. Yes. His grace. But I'm going to also experience his strength by experiencing his joy. That's phenomenal. Uh, John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, says Jesus, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. How is our joy ever going to be full? Oh, it's when his joy gets inside of us. So God has joy. He is a God of joy, which is why one of the fruits of the spirit is joy. So how can we rejoice? Why do we rejoice? Because he is a God of joy. And lastly, number 12, <clears throat> just another reflection Joy is to be a distinctive mark of a Christian if the If the source of all joy is God himself and the fruit of the spirit is joy, then an attribute that characterizes a Christian should be joy. In other words, people should look at your life and know that you're a Christian because of the joy within your life because you rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> uh, Gordon fee who's a great scholar, he says, joy, unmitigated, untrammeled joy, is, or at least should be, the distinctive mark of the believer in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That this unlimited, free joy should be the distinctive mark of the believer in Christ Jesus. Another scholar said that this command calls for the development of a cheerful attitude in every circumstance to be the dominant theme in the Christian life, the fulfillment of all other goals in the Christian walk flows out of the practice of rejoicing in the Lord. And isn't it an interesting thought that the kingdom of God is one of joy. That when we get to heaven, do you know what the heaven is going to be full of? Do you know what the kingdom of God is all wrapped up in? Do you know what the language of heaven is all about? Thanksgiving and joy. According to scripture. The, the, just the, the conversation, just the the, the the communication of heaven is about thanksgiving and joy. Listen to Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and a peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You and I are called to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. A couple months ago, I was reading this book. I, can't, I have no recollection of what book I actually got this from. But I just remember reading this book. And there's this little tiny statement that came out of it. And I was like, that is powerful. And the, idea, the story was basically that there was this guy who, <clears throat> no matter what happened in his life, his response to every single circumstance was, for this, I have Jesus. For this, I have Jesus. Hey, when things went really well in his life, he said, oh, for this, I have Jesus. When things were hard for this, I have Jesus. And I don't remember the, how the whole story went. It's, it's kind of foggy in my mind, <clears throat> but something tragic happened to the happened to this man. And, and just everything just kind of, just kind of blew up. And I mean, the whole thing was just terrible. And the author went to the, this guy and just said, Hey, how are you doing? And he just, for this, I have Jesus. See, there is this See, rejoicing. Joy is not, it's not an emotional thing. Again, you can have tears in your eyes and sorrow in your heart and still have joy. So it's not based on circumstance. It's not based on emotion. This is not how do I feel. This is despite the circumstance, despite what's going on around you, good, bad, or ugly. Will I in that moment choose to set my gaze upon God and praise and adore him in the midst of my circumstance? Will I rejoice at every moment of every single day? I don't know about you, but that's convicting. And I don't know what that practically could look like in your life, but see what would it look like if everything in our life would press us to Jesus? See, what if, what if when we saw the sunrise in the morning, we're just like, wow, God, you were so good. And we praised him for his sunrise. And Hey, what if we, as we're eating our green beans, whoo, Jesus, I love green beans. Thank you for the green beans. These are the best green beans. Hey, as we're talking to somebody, Oh Lord, I just, Thank you for this person. Could you give me an opportunity to share your love and your presence and your truth with them? And hey, may the gospel, the reality of that come out of my life. And wow, Lord, I just got a flat tire. And rather than just seeing the flat tire from that perspective, God, I'm going to keep my mindset upon you. And you are going to be my perspective. And I know that you're going to use this flat tire for my good. Oh, Lord, I found myself in the hospital. Lord, I'm going to praise you that you're going to work in the middle of the situation and that maybe you're going to give me opportunity in the hospital. And, and I know that if nothing else, you're going to use this circumstance to build my life as a Christian. And, and you're going to, Hey, you're squeezing me and, or my life is being squeezed and, and I'm choosing to rejoice. See what if every moment of every single day and every circumstance and every, with every person, with every child, with every cause joy and praise and adoration of Jesus to come into our life. By the way, in you, you, in and of your own strength, that's impossible. But you, hey, this is active. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's active. And whenever it's present, you are called to choose joy. And yeah, you may not be able to fully produce the joy, but you're going to have to let him begin to produce that, develop that, deepen that. But you've got to choose that. It's a set of the sail. It's a set of the mind. Uh, Isaiah 61.10 It says, I will will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. What if we had that attitude every moment of every single day? Paul says, I command you, you are to choose joy every moment of every single day. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Uh, let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> Oh Lord, I confess that I have not done a good job of rejoicing in you always. That a lot of times my my mindset, my perspective gets set upon the world and the circumstances and the finance and the people and the situation and the the politics and the whatever. And yeah, Lord, we're not supposed to be ignorant. I get that. But in the midst of what's going on, especially in this day and age, Lord, could you set our gaze upon you? Would you let us realize that joy is a declaration of our trust in you? Would you begin to let us realize that, that is, when we, when we keep our minds steadfast upon you, that you are the source of our joy. That that joy is supposed to bubble forth as a fruit from our life. That that is like the demonstration, the declaration of us being Christians. Y- yes, we're to, we're to cry forth the hope that lies within us. But Lord, even just how we live and how we talk and how we think, the reality of heaven should be so clearly seen and demonstrated. So, Lord, as as the culture squeezes, as circumstances squeeze, as finances squeeze, as people squeeze, Lord, we realize that you may not have caused all of it. Hey, we get that. But, Lord, you want to use all of that for our good. So, would you turn our gaze from the circumstance and set our gaze steadfast upon you? And, Lord, we understand it doesn't have to make any sense but we are called to rejoice always. The, hey, That The more pressure that, that, the, that the world and circumstances and trials puts upon us, the greater the joy that should be declared in our life. Lord, would you use the, the circumstances and the trials of our life to mature us? Hey, would, you, would you use the circumstances and the trials to demonstrate your life? Lord, you are king of kings. Hey, you have overcome the world. Hey, you are a God of joy. And as such, Jesus, could joy be the distinctive mark of our lives? Could somehow the world look upon us in the middle of the suffering and the persecution, the middle of difficulty being fed to wild beasts in the arenas? And in those moments, Lord, could could our focus, our present declaration of a future hope, may our declaration just be, wow, I'm so excited. Look at what God's doing. Yeah, it's hard. Bleeding back. Prison cells. Yeah, there's difficulty. Sorrow in the heart. Tears in the eyes. Sure, but wow, I've got joy because I have you. Lord, the reality of this whole thing is how am I ever going to have that mindset? How, how on earth am I going to have joy at all times? It's going to mean I need you at all times. That there's never a moment in my life where I, I I can walk forward without you. Because in you is the fullness of joy. That you are the source of this thing. So Lord, if I have any hope of rejoicing in the Lord always, it just means I need you always. So Lord, would you grow in my mind? Would you grow in my life? Would you grow in my perspective? Would you Would you somehow enable me to turn my gaze upon you? Lord, will you put such a burn within my life that I, I want to choose joy? Lord, would you begin to give me opportunity where you can train me in this? That the little circumstances, whether they're good, the bad, or the ugly, will, will all just start pressing me to you. Lord, when I see the sunrises and the sunsets, could, could I turn my gaze and praise you? Hey, when I'm in the conversations, could, could I use those moments? Hey, when I'm eating green beans and... Hey, Lord, Lord, when I'm facing trials and difficulties, hey, when I look at my bank account, hey, when, when, I, when I face persecution, hey, when, when there's hardship and I have to deal with certain situations or people, Lord, would you, through your Spirit, freshly remind me to choose joy? And then will you give me the power and the grace to live in that? Lord, we need to be a people who rejoice in you always. So, Lord, this is the day that you have made we will rejoice and be glad in it. Love you, Jesus. Thank you that we even have the possibility of rejoicing always. And it's only because of you. So, Lord, we just give you the praise, the glory, the adoration, for you are worthy. Love you, Jesus, in your precious, powerful name we pray. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com.